welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. It took me it took me seven years to get through college, and I was like, and some of you guys are like, I didn't know Brian was a doctor. Brian's not a doctor. It took me seven years to get a four-year degree, and um, I actually did that at three different colleges and four different cities. See if you can figure that one out. And, and so I had this really like different, diverse college experience from going off and living in the dorms to living with my friends to coming home and finally coming home and finishing college here. But one of my favorite years of my entire life was the, the school year of 2009. 2008 and 2009, and that's because during that year, my friends and I got to have an apartment together. Now, when I say we got to have an apartment together, it was a nice apartment, but let me be clear. There were four grown men living in a two-bedroom apartment, one bathroom. Yeah. You have never lived until you've lived in a place where the rule is you don't lock the bathroom door while you're taking a shower because somebody else may have to use the bathroom while you take a shower. That's the world we lived in. But, but I loved living there. Uh, we were able to split our bills four ways and we were able to afford something nicer than any of us individually could have had. Now, during that time, I like to call myself a starving college kid because we had bills to pay, but we didn't exactly have a lot of extra money. Now, let me be clear. For my mama's sake, I was not actually starving. I'm still here and I'm alive. I don't want to panic her. But I was a starving college kid. I ate many a day where all I ate was a bowl of rice with butter in it. And I loved it. I was okay with it. But what we learned as we lived as a group of four men in one house is we learned the art of cooking in a group. And so what we figured out is we could all take our money, combine our money... And we could go to Walmart and we could go buy like pancake batter and bacon and biscuits and we could make a better meal if all four of us chipped in a little bit than if we had all tried to cook for ourselves or if we all had to go out. I can still see on our little card table that we had, I can see this pile of bacon on a plate and four men standing around looking at each other like we're about to fight over this. Like I remember that very vividly. Uh, We later learned that you can go buy steak and potatoes and we had actually done this. We would have a steak meal for $3 a piece. Now let me be clear. When I say steak, I'm not talking about ribeyes. I'm talking about the Chuck Eye knockoff. I think it was actually chicken now that I think of it. I don't think it was steak. I don't even know if it was meat, but we ate it. We grilled it up and ate it. We could do that for $3 a piece cheaper than we could eat at fast food. But what we learned during that year is that together we could accomplish something bigger than we all could individually. We learned the power of collectivity. And it occurs to me that's, that's kind of the story of what God wants to do in a church specifically in our church, is when we come together, together collectively, I say as I stand in the middle of our explosion of Operation Christmas Boxes, we can do more together than we can do individually. And that's God's plan for a church is that we come together as individuals, we strive to God collectively, and what happens is we become greater than the sum of our parts. We've been in a series called Empty the Bench. And what we've basically been looking at, what does it mean to be a church? And since you and I are the church, we are Ramsey Heights. We're not actually looking at what does it mean for us to be a church. It's what does it mean for you to be a part of the church? What is our job? What is our responsibilities? And over the past several weeks, we've talked about the need to attach and commit to a church. We've talked about your value as a church member, as well as the value of those who may be younger or older or different minded than you. We've talked about the importance of unity and accountability 
accountability. We've even talked about church discipline, which was nobody's favorite sermon, but it's biblical, so we, we talk about it and we practice it. What I want to talk about today is what happens when we collectively contribute to a cause. When we as individuals come to this place, and I'm no longer Brian, and you're no longer who you are, we are simply Ramsey Heights together, and we do great things. And this has been part of church history since the beginning of the church, that a church would come together and accomplish more together than they would as individuals. And the book of Acts, you see at Jerusalem, that in Acts 4, early in the church, people started selling their stuff and giving the money to the church. They said, let's, let's all combine our resources and take care of everybody collectively. And they did so not because they had to, but because they wanted to. You see in the teachings of Jesus, where he commands us to come together and talk and, and take care of widows and to take care of the poor and to support ministry efforts. And in the book of Acts, we also see an instance where there's a famine in Jerusalem. There's not enough food. And so the call goes out to all of the churches in the area. We don't have enough food to feed people here in Jerusalem. And what happens is the Christian community, the churches surrounding that area, come together and they take care of the needs of the church at Jerusalem. You see one of those calls here in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul is going to instruct Corinth to take place in this. So if you've got your Bibles with, me, with you, just three verses today. Read with me verses 1 through 3. Paul speaking. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whoever you shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying concerning this, this famine in Jerusalem, here's what we're going to do. Everybody, every week when you gather as a church, begin to take a collection and set that money aside. Do that every single week. And when I get there, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to get that to Jerusalem. So as we look at this, we see a picture of what a church does. Is a church does not just care for ourselves. Your first take-home truth today is a church cares for the needy. That is a theme of our entire faith. When Jesus came here, he could have came here as a king and lived in a castle and said, look at me. Jesus came as a poor man and he traveled the world seeking out the needy, providing for their needs. And so we follow suit doing what Jesus did and doing what he calls us to do, giving to the poor, caring for those who don't have enough, getting food for people and supporting the ministry efforts of ministers and missionaries across the world. And you see the way that Paul phrases this, that it's an expectation for him. Like, Paul commanded this. And that's one of the things I love about Paul. Paul wasn't shy. Paul commanded to give this money. Paul commanded to have a collection to take care of the needy of Jerusalem. Paul doesn't beat around the bush and like, well, if everybody could just give a dollar, that would be wonderful. Paul dictates you will collectively give, you will collectively come together to meet the needs of other people around you. Every single week, collect based on what you have and send it off. And it makes me think, is Paul a dictator? Like, who is this guy? Paul, an apostle, and he just gets to send letters. He's like, hey, all the money in a pile. Get it ready. We're giving it away. Like, how would that go over if I was here for you guys? Like, everybody take out your wallets, put it all in a pile. We're going to give it away here in a few minutes. I would see a lot of you leave now. But Paul is able to do that. But why is he able to do that? Is he just that much in charge? Do they respect him that much? Is he a dictator? And I think what you'll see in the Bible is, is that Paul's not necessarily dictating to them and telling them to do something that they didn't already know to do. 
It's not so much that Paul's being bossy here. It's just simply that this is a function of the church that Christians understand that, that we do. Like if Paul had wrote in a letter as he did, he said, as Christians, you need to gather as a church and worship God together. Nobody would be like, who is he to tell me what to do? If Paul said, when you gather, make sure that you're teaching the teachings of Jesus Christ, that you're growing faith. We're like, yeah, that's, that's part of why we gather. That's why we're here. Well, when you get together, worship together, praise God, focus on him. Well, of course, that's what we're here to do. And so when Paul says collectively gather things and care for the needy, immediately what the Christians in Corinth would have thought is, okay, that's part, that's part of our function. That's what we do as a church. Now, the question is, why is this how he calls us to do it? Why does the Bible call us to collectively gather things? Well, see, what you have is you have a bunch of individuals in this room. And I love every single one of you, minus, minus two of you. You can guess who you are. I'm going to get myself fired doing that. Like, I love all of you guys. But when we come here, we are better together as a group than we can be as 70, 80 individuals, however many people are here. We are better collectively than we could be as individuals. We can go do our own thing. We could all send money to the poor. We could all pack shoeboxes. We, we could all buy food for the needy. But when we come together as a church, we can collectively do more than you and I could do if we just all went our own separate ways. And so what Paul is commanding is for churches to collectively serve God to become greater than the sum of our parts. He even gives us organization of how to do this. He gives you a time, he says weekly. He says, put aside this money, not just get it out of the church budget. Put aside money that is given extra on Sunday morning and that is purposeful you can see in this time Paul's mindset was this okay Monday you go to work you work all week at the end of the week you get your wages or your payment or whatever that is and then you as an individual you make a decision to take part of what you earn this week and set it aside to give to somebody else that was the mindset Paul was thinking of when you gather each week take part of what you made that week and begin to add to a pile of money that will grow to care for others and so we look at that and it's like okay well that seems kind of hard because it seems like I'm going to have to be required to sacrifice if we're going to collectively contribute if the Bible commands us to give it requires sacrifice like I work hard all week I pay my bills I do everything that I have but what the Bible calls me to do is set aside part of what I've made for the needs and the goods of others and we look at that like Ugh, I, don't, I don't like that but listen, next take home truth is a church can give collectively because we sacrifice individually. What this church does, what Ramsey Heights does collectively as a church is because of individual decisions that everybody in this room makes. If we have money to give to missions, it's because you have dropped money in the offering plate. If we have boxes to send to kids in some other continent, it's because you went to Walmart and you bought toothbrushes and combs and soap to give to them individually we make sacrifices to be able to collectively come together and do something bigger than any one of us would do and we're so jaded against this because we live in this world that would tell us that that's dumb this world tells us if you watch tv if you listen to music if you talk to your friends if you go to any job they're going to tell you go to work work hard climb the ladder get use that money for yourself find a way to get more use that money for yourself find a way to get more even after that and use that for yourself and it would be dumb to give anything away that's what the world tells you that's the theme of every rap song get money that's the theme of every job. We're going to pay you this much and you can have this life if you work here. 
But as followers of Christ, we know that the world is often wrong about things. And so for a Christ follower, a Christ follower, it is actually a blessing for us to give. Like we don't come here and go, oh no, I've got to give. They're asking, they're asking for toys again. They're asking for money. I've got to give. For a Christ follower, it is a blessing for us to get to give because that is the heart of our Savior. Did you know our entire faith, the very reason that you and I have access to God is based on the concept of giving? Not, not you can earn your way to God by giving, but our faith is based on the fact that God gave us something. What's our favorite verse as, as individuals, as Christians, the one that everybody memorizes when you're like four? John three sixteen, right? For God so what? Love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life we come here and we call ourselves Christ followers not because we got our way to God but because God made a way to us by giving by sacrificing like like we come here with that heart to have the heart of Christ I would rather somebody else have it than me and we're so excited to give away because God was excited to give to us God loved us so much. He's like, you know what? Here's my son. Kill him on a cross so that you can have access to me. And so as a church, our heart is, you know what? Here's some of the money that I earned. Take it. Use it for whatever because it's going to get somebody to Christ. And we get to give. It's kind of like I learned this as an adult. You guys remember when you were young and it was Christmas and you went and you never bought anybody Christmas presents and they just showered you with gifts and you got all the gifts at Christmas. You guys remember that? It was awesome. And then you grow up and you get a job and suddenly everybody's like, well, what are you buying me for Christmas? I'm like, well, nothing. I'm not buying you anything. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that Christmas is more fun to watch other people give you gifts than to get gifts. When you get older, that's true. Some of the kids are in here like, no, I don't believe that. It's true. It really is. And listen, I'm not a good gift giver and I'm not a very good gift receiver either. Like I, my, I'm very, I think very practical. It's like, you know what they need is socks. That's what they need. I'm really horrible at giving. But every once in a while, I'll knock it out of the park. I've got an idea. I'm going to do this for my wife or for my mom or for my daughter or for my family. I'm going to do this thing and I know they're going to love it. And, and like, we'll get there. And it's like, okay, let's open Christmas presents. Here, open this one. It's for you. Oh, don't you want to open your source? No, 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 trust me, trust me. It's good, it's good, trust me. You're going to love it. And we learn that it is exciting to give. As followers of Christ, it should be exciting for us to give to God. It should be exciting for us to, to give something to somebody who has nothing. And we find a lot of joy in that. But you know what? As a child versus an adult giving at Christmas, you know what I've learned is the difference between finding joy in giving and getting? is perspective. Like as an adult, I understand the world more and I understand what a gift can mean to somebody. So it makes it more, uh, more joyful for me to give. As a kid, I didn't grasp that. It was all about me all the time. And as a Christian, it can be the same thing. Perspective, perspective can change your joy when it comes to giving. And the truth is, it's not so much perspective about what the money's going to be used for or what the toys are going to be used for or who's going to get the food or if they need it. The perspective is really about what do I have? Because almost everybody that I know has this perspective of the world. The perspective that we have is that I don't have enough. I don't have enough. That's the worldly perspective. Somewhere out there, there's somebody with like $8 billion. And you know what they're thinking? I've got to figure out a way to make more money because I don't have enough. But you know what a biblical perspective is? A biblical perspective that says that I know God. 
and that God knows me. And everything that I have been given, my house, my vehicle, my family, my job, was given to me by God. And so if he's smart enough to create everything in the world with only a word, he's probably smart enough to know what I need. And so what I have is what I need. And it gives me this perspective of going, I have enough. As a matter of fact, I have not only enough for me, I have plenty. I have enough for others. So the Bible here, as Paul is speaking, he, he makes this point. He says, give as you have been blessed. I love the way that Paul looks at that. It's like, hey, God's given you. Now he's asking you to give more. And what Paul's really saying here is proportionally give what you can. Because we're all aware that there are some people that are mega rich and they could afford to give a lot more than others. And there's other people who are kind of, kind of don't have as much and they should give as well. But Paul's speaking to Corinth, he says, give as you have been blessed. If you have a lot, give a lot. If you have a little, give a little. But give as you have been blessed. Now here's what you need to know about Corinth. Corinth was one of the richest cities in Asia Minor in the old world. Corinth is on an isthmus, that's a narrow piece of land that joins two other pieces of land. So it had access of everything that was traveling across the Mediterranean Sea would come into Corinth. It had two ports. And then because it was on an isthmus, every road to the other land came right through Corinth. It was a huge area of economy, industry, entertainment. It was like the New York City of the time. This place had everything. And so these Corinthian Christians were rich. And Paul's saying is like, if you have a lot, be willing to give a lot. I've never really liked the book of First Corinthians. You know why? Sometimes it's kind of harsh. Like Corinth had a lot of problems and Paul like lays it out. But I begin to really love the book of First Corinthians and the wealth of knowledge within it. You know why? It's because there's no book in the Bible that applies more to America than the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians because he's writing to a culture much like ours. Folks, I hate to tell you this. You're rich. You are rich beyond measure just because you live here. And you're like, well, Brian, I know a lot of people. I'm actually kind of poor. No, you're rich. Trust me. Trust me, you are rich compared to 90% of the people in the world. I've got, I've got shoes on my feet right now. I have four pairs of shoes that I wear to church on different Sundays for two to three hours on a Sunday morning. I have four different pairs to make sure that they match my shirts. How ridiculous is that? There are people in the world that don't have a single pair of shoes. I've got four just for the one day a week I spend at church. And then if you go uh, to my house, I've got four or five more pairs that I wear to work. And then I've got hunting boots and I've got work boots. I mean, I've got shoes everywhere. We're rich. This afternoon or tomorrow, I'm going to go home and I'm going to hang Christmas lights on my house. We set aside money every year to buy me more Christmas lights because I want to be on that show, Great Christmas Light Fight. Y'all ever seen that? That's my goal. <laughs> my, my wife's not happy about it, but she can't stop me because I get on the roof. Like, like that's my goal. And so every year I, I go buy more Christmas lights and I come up with a new way to make my house twinkle. You know why? Because somebody will drive my house and go, oh, that's pretty. And we waste money on that. These are rich people problems. We have so much here in America. And there are so many people across the world that have very little. And so we come together as a church to give a lot to people who have very little because God has blessed us with a lot. And here's the reason that we do that is because we believe that God can take a little or he can take a lot, but we believe that he does a lot with whatever we give. 
There's a story that you're all familiar with in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching and he's healing and he's gathered this crowd of people that are following around and they're wanting to hear what he's saying. They're really interested in who is this guy that makes people stand up and walk who've been crippled? Who is this guy who fixes all kinds of diseases and ailments? Who is this guy? And there's this huge crowd and it gets nighttime and the disciples come up and walk to Jesus like, hey, uh, these people are hungry. You need to send them away right now so they can go find out where to feed. And Jesus is like, well, why don't we just feed them? And all the, all the disciples are like, we don't have, like, that's a year's wages to feed this many people. And so they have this dilemma. Like, like how are we going to feed all these people? Where's the food going to come from? And you guys know the story. There's about 5,000, 5,000 men, the Bible says, probably closer to ten to 15,000 people. But here's something that's often overlooked. Listen to this. This is, uh, <clears throat> this is in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. They're having this discussion. Then one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Like, I love that little verse there because it tells us something. It's not found anywhere else in the gospel. It tells us where the bread and the fish came from for the feeding of the 5,000. And one of the disciples, they're talking about this, like, where's the food going to come from? One of the disciples is like, hey, there, there's a little boy here, and he's got, he's, got, he's got his lunch. He's got some bread and some fish, but it's not nearly enough. Have you ever wondered how that boy got in the conversation? I think the disciples are scurrying through the crowd, and they're like, I found one, Jesus, let's steal his lunch. I can't prove this. This, this is Brian's opinion. Don't take this as a biblical fact. Here's what I think happened. I think this little boy had brought his lunch. And he heard the conversation and he knew people were hungry. And I think he walked up to one of the disciples and pulled on their sleeve and said, hey, will this help? Can I give you this? And he sacrificed his lunch. But where he put it is so important. He put his little bit of lunch in the hands of Jesus Christ. And what happened at that moment what happened at that moment was Jesus did one of the most famous miracles Jesus ever did. He fed 5,000 plus people and it all started with a boy who was willing to give what he had and put it in the hands of Jesus. As a church, that's what we come together to do is we give and we put things in the hands of Jesus because Jesus multiplies the physical into the spiritual. As a matter of fact, that's our next take-home truth is we give the physical to invest in the eternal. We give money and we give food and we give toys and we give clothes. We give everything we can because we believe God will take something small and he will make it big. So here at Ramsey Heights, we believe and we desire to be a church that is giving all of the time. And I believe that if you will give, you will experience both joy in giving and that God will use what you give. And so for that reason, we give you opportunities to give. We suggest, we teach that you should financially be giving. And we do that as a church. Money comes into this church. And what we do is when we write our budget, when we make our budget in the next month, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to write off 12% of that money. And so that money is going to be given away. Everything that comes here, we don't use it for us. We give it to God and say, God, you use it. But we also provide extra opportunities. You heard Jared this morning get up and talk about our food pantry. There's a basket out in the foyer where you can drop macaroni and cheese. You can drop like those, those uh, uh, instant mashed potatoes or grits. I don't care what you drop in there as long as it doesn't rot in the heat. Like, you can drop that in there and we can take care of our community. 
And I know what you're thinking. It's like, our community doesn't need that. Let me tell you this. This happened three weeks ago. I walked out of this church at nine, and there was a couple sitting in our parking lot eating. And they'd walked here three miles with a two-year-old girl in a stroller to get some bags of Lay's potato chips to feed their daughter. There are people in our community who need us. And so we give to the food ministry, and I would encourage you to continue to do that. We do missions drives here twice a year where we do extra money for missions. We do one in February that just goes to the National Mission Fund, and then we do one in the fall that goes to a specific missionary. This last year, we gave over $1,700 to a missionary in Lebanon, Joe Costa. And he's taken that money, and he's using it for resources to reach Muslims with the gospel of Christ. He reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, hey, by the way, thank you for the gift from Ramsey Heights. He said, let you guys know. So I'm letting you know. Joe Costa said, thank you. And he's coming in soon, coming into the States here in the next few months. We're hoping to have him here to get to see and talk to him about his ministry. But today, today is not about any of that. Those are just our opportunities. Today is about Operation Christmas Child. These boxes right here. Guys, I just want to say this. First off, I want to say thank you. If you prayed, if you gave, if you financially gave, I want to say thank you for investing in this. These boxes, some kid is going to get saved because they know Christ loves them because you love them enough to give. And I'm so proud of our church because what you see on this stage represents somewhere between five to $6,000 of giving from Ramsey Heights where we collectively came together and said, we're going to spread the love of Jesus Christ across this world by giving the physical. And so today is all about investing, uh, inve investing our physical and asking God to turn it spiritual. Today, we're going to turn these boxes over. Not a person in this room will ever see one of these boxes again. We're putting them in the hands of God, and we're going to ask God to do something big with them. So here in just a second, we're going to have our Operation Christmas Child director come up here and talk a little bit more about this. But first, we've got a video coming up here. Would you guys play that video for me, please? All right, so we began this journey um, in February 2, and um, we, I asked you in February to give your time, your money, and your prayers, and you were faithful, and you've done that each month, and then we continued the journey yesterday as we packed these boxes, and it was such a joyous time, and um, I'm going to probably repeat what Brian said, but I'm just so thankful for your dedication to this ministry and just for your heart for these children that were given so much to. And I just love that. And I hope that it touched you in a small way, too, as you um, participated through this. But today, as Brian said, we're going to end this journey with prayer. same way we started it was with prayer I'm so sorry I get emotional every year and I can't stop myself but um we're gonna end this journey with prayer that these boxes will go to who they need to go to and that they will enter into these children's hearts and their lives and they will be transformed because that's exactly what this ministry does is it transforms lives it transfers my life 
and it transfers everybody else's life, kids' life, and anytime you're participating with this, I'm hoping it transforms your life as well, because that's what it's meant to do. It brings us all closer to our goal, and um, just joining the kingdom of God together. So um, yesterday I spoke about prayer because that's something big this year that's been on my heart during this program. And um, in 1 Thessalonians 2.16 it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And that's what we're going to do today is that we're going to rejoice, really, because I'm super happy. And we're going to rejoice that this is such an amazing accomplishment for the Ramsey Heights, for y'all, that y'all have done this. We're going to pray without ceasing for the next couple months, next year, that these boxes are transforming those lives. And then we're going to give thanks. We're going to be so thankful that... Or I am so thankful that we had the opportunity just to have a small part in God's miracle. And so um, I just wanted to repeat it and just say thank you again. I really appreciate this. Whew. It means so much more than you could probably even imagine. Um, my tears are just from working with children. God gave me a heart to get to be with children daily, as well as visit children out of country, and um, I see their faces every time we do this, and I hope you do too, because you're changing lives, you're changing lives here in the United States, as well as out of countries, and so I just want to thank you for that from the bottom of my heart, and I think I'm going to end the service and let Brian take over, because I'm not going to last, <laughs> so thank you very much. This year we set a goal of 200, this is our sixth year, we set a goal of 215 boxes. You see all 215 of those up here. Uh, many of you contributed to this financially. You brought toys and brushes and stuff like that, and thank you. And, and even if you didn't, I'm going to tell you, we're going to do it again next year. <laughs> Starts over in January with a goal of 250 boxes next year. But what I want to do is I want to ask you to start now preparing for next year. I want you to, to ask you to give one more time, whether you've participated, haven't participated, getting ready to participate next year. One more time, I want you to give something. This morning, the best thing we can do for these boxes is bless them with prayer. And so I want to ask every person in this room to grab a box. Come up here. Go ahead. You guys start standing up. Come on, let's go. Come up here, grab a box. That's going to be your box, and you're going to pray over that box. I'll do some prompting, but please give a gift of prayer for these boxes. Father in heaven, God, this is a day of excitement and joy for Ramsey Heights. Lord, uh, over a year we've worked hard for these boxes. God, we've given as you've given to us. Uh, God, I thank you for a church that has a giving heart, that is willing to love and care for people they will never see, that they will never be thanked by. Uh, God, I thank you that you've blessed us with the opportunity to work with this ministry. Lord, for each of these boxes, God, we just pray that you'll put your hand on it, that you'll guide it to the exact kid who needs it, that each of these items in the boxes will be special to them and bring them joy and excitement. But God, most of all, we pray not for them just to enjoy the physical. God, we pray for this box to come with a message that you love them, for, you to, for them to understand that you love them and how much you love them. God, we pray that you'll take these physical gifts and that you'll turn them into something eternal that we'll see people saved. 
Uh, God, we pray for the families of the people that, that uh, receive these boxes. God, we pray that it brings them joy and relief, Lord, and for the same thing, that you'll touch their lives through just these small gifts, that as we love their children, that they know that your love is available across the world. God, we love you with all of our heart. God, we release these boxes to you because we know that you can do more with them than we ever could. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Caden, if you'll pull up our mission statement. So this is going to conclude our service this day. As you've got your boxes, you can come put them back up here in just a second. But let's remind ourselves of what we exist as a church to do. We don't exist for feel-good moments. We exist and we strive to see the world change for the kingdom of God. Say it with me loud. It is my calling to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to serve all the things my Savior has commanded me, and He is with me always. Let's go be and make disciples who adore God, bridge gaps, and cultivate the kingdom. I love you all. You are not dismissed. You are? Have a great week.